Minds. And here is your host, Gary Cachulio. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show who are Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, Joseph Sinkovic, author of How to Kiss the Universe, Ms. Aida, author, psychic, spellcaster, root worker, and witch. You can find her at MsAida.com, M-I-S-S. AIDA.com. And this episode is being sponsored by Ginger Glasser. And you can find Ginger at tarotbyginger.com. She's a tarot reader, evidential medium, and healer. And that is at tarotbyginger.com. And also Alan Questell. You can find him at uncommonsensing.com. And his new book is called Intentional Acts of Kindness, which you can find on Amazon. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Chris. I should have asked him how to pronounce his last name. Halverson. 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 Yeah, I, I get asked that a lot. So and not, definitely not the first. <laughs> Yours is far before. more difficult. I would definitely have to ask you. <laughs> and he has a book called Caitlin's Wheel. And it's sort of about UFOs, Ezekiel Vision, and some of the things that we talk about regularly on this show. So thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Gary. Appreciate it. So so what inspired you to write a book built around the context of UFOs? I think it really started about 15 to 20 years ago. I was jogging in Palisades Park at night. It's the bluff that overlooks the ocean in Santa Monica, California, which is basically West Los Angeles. And I saw two glowing orange triangular objects up in the sky. They were perfectly parallel to one, one another. And I stopped to watch, and a female jogger who was coming from the other direction, she stopped to watch. And we both just stood there next to each other, complete strangers watching these two glowing orange shapes in the sky over the ocean. And I remember she said, what is that? And I just think, well, I have no idea. And uh, then both the objects, again, flying perfectly parallel to one another went, zooming off toward Malibu, which is north over the ocean at just like a blur of speed, like a laser beam just taking off. And uh, I'm a writer, so at the time I was thinking later that that would be a very interesting way to romantically meet someone. I I regretted later I didn't stop and chat with the woman. I think we were both so shocked by what had happened that we didn't talk about it. And I wish I would have because we just shared in something which was remarkable. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, guy, I wonder if I could turn that into a script or a book. And I, I couldn't, I, I had a good inciting incident, how the characters meet, but I didn't really have any story beyond that, partly because in real life there was no story after that. <laughs> Fast forward to 15 years later, I think that story, I, I buried that idea. I'm constantly trying to come up with ideas for scripts or whatever, or books, but I was doing dishes in the sink one night. And then the idea for this story just popped into my head. I was thinking there's a, a woman who, or, you know, a woman who witnesses a UFO over her house the night her father dies. And meanwhile, a boy, uh, you know, maybe like high school student in, in another state sees or needs an excuse for being late to class or missing class. And he tells the principal he was abducted by UFOs just as a joke. And again, who knows where ideas come from, but that that's literally what happened. I think 
it also shows the the power, the subconscious uh, mind how it's affected by water. You know, I'm doing dishes in the sink, kind of in a hypnotic state, not thinking about anything. And I set to work on the book the next day. Um, I knew I had to write it. It started the story just started building in my mind and went from there. I wasn't sure how old they were going to be. First, I was thinking they were, you know, high school, then maybe college. I ended up making them seniors in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's I. Th- but I think that the experience from years prior when I was in Palisades Park was probably lingering in my subconscious for years, and then I finally figured out a way to tell the story. So to answer your question in a, in, a, in a roundabout way, sorry. So, so when you saw the UFO, like, what? How did you feel? Like, what was your response to that? It's so hard to explain. I mean, just surreal. It's it's. And what numbing. was it? Was it a saucer? Was it a light? They were triangular orange shapes, and again, there were two of them, oh. and they were flying. They moved, they were hovering, they would go left, right, up, down, mm-hmm. and everything they did was perfectly together and perfectly in sync. Even when they raced off, they were, you know, they raced off. And, you know, I told some some family members and whatnot, and my dad told me that there had been a lot of sightings over the desert. He lived out in Palm Springs, and he'd heard a lot of uh, sightings that night had happened over the desert, and, and you know, you always want to think it's military or, or that's what... I think my friends and family wanted to believe because they didn't want to tell me I'm going crazy or whatever. There's always that shame of saying you witnessed a, a UFO, mm-hmm. whether it was military or not. It was definitely something that we wouldn't see on a, on a you know, daily normal basis. Um, believe it or not, the next day um, or that night, I can't remember. I actually Googled glowing orange triangular shapes, uh, UFO, comma, UFO, you know, your usual Google searches. And someone had actually posted a photo of exactly what I I checked again maybe a week later. That photo does not exist on the internet anymore. Uh, hmm. Big surprise, right? I Somebody doesn't want it on the internet. So um, anyway, the feeling, to answer your question, the feeling I had, uh, almost like being in a dream, you know? And um, I, I think afterwards, too, processing it, what was that? It was almost a religious experience, a uh, spiritual experience. I didn't have any fear whatsoever. Um, didn't feel threatened by it. Um, but I wish I, again, I could have talked to the woman who saw that with me to uh, help talk, talk it through and process what it was and, and how she felt about it as well. Hmm. So, um, anyway. So do you think that what you saw was extraterrestrial or military? I'm open. You know, I really... I can't say. I could have been a, you know, even that long ago. I'm sure the, I would guess the military had um, drones that could be that advanced. But who knows? I don't know. I've talked to some Air Force friends of mine. They think that the Air Force could make something like that. But who knows? Um, you know, if there's a million dollar bet in Vegas, and I have to guess the right answer, it would be tough to say. Um, my gut tells me from a, it was from a different world. I, I don't know. If our military can make that, it's actually frightening to me that, that we can do that. But I don't know. Um, so, like I said, I would lean toward alien, but I'm open to the fact that it could be military. 
military craft made with alien technology. Or that very much, absolutely. Something that's been reverse engineered, absolutely. Um, I've thought of that too. Thank you for reminding me of that. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, with the book and the characters in it, like for them, is it like, like, did you base their response to the event on what you personally felt? And and how you felt afterwards, like being like, I can't imagine like doing that, having that experience with another person, and then that person being gone forever, no way to ever trace them down. You know, you know, it's like I really like to know what that person thought about that event. Yeah, yeah, she was really cute too, by the way. Of course, (laughs) (laughs) bonus points. But even if not, that wouldn't matter. It could have been a a guy or anybody. It would have been nice to be able to talk about it later. So. Um, I'm sorry. I think I for oh the question. Uh, my character. Yeah, basically that I put myself in the character's shoes. She goes on a quest because, you know, obviously the UFO appearing over her house the night her father dies. She instantly relates it to Ezekiel's wheel from the Old Testament because in that book Ezekiel was transported by a UFO like um, saucer to the mountaintop where he mm-hmm. met with God, and she comes from you know, a fairly religious family in small town, Iowa. So she's already familiar with the Bible and whatnot. And then, you know, her quest for knowledge was a lot of my own uh, research into the afterlife and what happens to energy when we die and all these types of things. And, you know, creation theories, which uh, if you go back in ancient time, all kinds of different cultures and different places of the world believed in creation theory where they described cosmic eggs coming down from the sky And so, you know, she goes on this quest. And then meanwhile, the boy, I put her in Iowa. I put the boy who who makes the silly excuse of UFOs to his principal in Washington State, where I'm from. And um, and for him, it turns out that later the aliens actually are putting things in his subconscious because they wanted to connect these two together. Mm -hmm. So what he thinks is a prank later, I'm kind of giving a spoiler alert (laughs) here, but uh, they are working in his subconscious mind. So and, and also... You know, I think a lot of times we say things and we don't know why later. And he, he even he himself kind of wondered, like, why did I say that? I let the sirens pass here in L.A. So, <laughs> anyway, sorry about that. So, that um, I also believe that I think that aliens can work through our subconscious. I, I always fear sounding crazy, and I hate doing that. But I feel like there was something driving me to write this story that was beyond my my own doing. Um, call it God, call it the higher power, call it aliens, whatever. I really did feel uh, this, this, whatever it is, drive driving me the entire time. Even days when I was tired and didn't want to write, I felt like something was pushing me to finish this. Hmm. So, you know. What do you think it was? You think it was God? You think it was extraterrestrial from your uh, telepathic communication? I think all of those things kind of go in hand in hand. I, I the more the more I, I think about these things, I I'm just, I believe that God is a higher intelligence, way beyond our capacity. And maybe some of these things we're calling alien aren't so much alien, but that higher intelligence, um, mm. and can work on a spiritual level as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I I was raised Catholic. I still probably have fundamental Catholic beliefs, 
but I think he, I'm definitely thinking way outside the box now. Um, even thinking about simulation theory. So, so you're thinking maybe that this reality is being manufactured by extraterrestrials? Yeah, I mean, I put that in my book. She, she, Caitlin, my main character, is reading about simulation theory and how maybe we really are in a you know a matrix, so to speak, and God is really the computer programmer. Um, it's eerie to think about. I mean, it really is. I get goosebumps and chills. You know, Elon Musk believes in that. A lot of uh, people who are much smarter than I am have that believe in that theory. So I don't think it's such a crackpot thing to think anymore. Um, but but yeah, I, I I feel like whatever that is, it was it was helping to drive me. And a lot of writing works on the subconscious level. So, absolutely, absolutely. Because you know, yeah. that's where you know there's that line of imagination. I mean, what is reality? I mean, I mean, do we imagine reality? Is just reality being imagined by something else? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. if something's it can be imagined. I I kind of assume that it can be created because we're not that smart. If if I can think of something, it has to exist somewhere. Exactly true. I mean, <laughs> you know? that's what what other writers have said that for years. What's really fiction? If it was true fiction, people wouldn't understand what you're saying, right? Yeah, it wouldn't make sense to them. So, hmm. Yeah, like I think personally, like I don't think it's like a like obviously matter isn't solid. We know that, and we also know that everything sort of responds to us focusing on attention. When we take our attention off of it, the the protons act differently. So you know, we we're a part of reality in a weird way. So I kind of think of it as like some kind of holographic, organic, cosmic consciousness. I like that. Yeah, you. I'm supposed to be the writer here, but you stated it more eloquently than I do. So thank you. <laughs> but it's, it's cool in in a, in a way. I I find that you know you're having these ideas. This is kind of stuff that nobody would talk about, not even 20 years ago, really. Not seriously. Yeah, and it still remains taboo. I mean, I'll be honest. I, I, I know some of my family members wouldn't want me saying this on your show. And, and you know, it's, I probably have friends that would be concerned about my, my mental health. So, But at the same time, I think that you can't put any shame into, into what you're striving to find out in life. And, and what I experienced in Palisades Park was absolutely real. I mean, that happened. I know what I saw. Mm-hmm. So, and I can't, I'm not going to apologize for it. So, but. So what anyway. do you think happens after death? Obviously you kind of connect this event with the death of her father. I'm probably right. I'm thinking too about like, you can come back as like an ancient astronaut or something like that. Kind of like the movie Contact a little bit, maybe, reminded me of. Yeah, I love that movie. Um, as far as afterlife, I, I do believe that, um, you know, there's been some studies done where energy energy can't die. Mm-hmm. You know, Matt, I, I'm not heavy on science, but that's why some some hardcore scientists now believe that there has to be an afterlife just because energy cannot die. And we are energy. 
um, you know, some of some of the uh, what happens in the book too is somewhat autobiographical because my brother died of cancer years ago mm-hmm. when he was forty. He died too young, and that night he visited me in a dream, and I believe it was his way of letting me know he was okay. And he appeared to me as like a light form in my dream, and he was just glowing and and full of joy and and um, happiness and. Uh, it's hard to describe what he looked like, but it wasn't like human flesh. It was literally like energy, like a, the glow, uh, you know, glowing energy. Like you'd have to CGI that in a movie to make it happen, mm-hmm. but it was definitely him. And, and he didn't say anything. He just looked at me and he was smiling. And, and when I woke up and I felt so much better because I felt like I know he's in a better place. Um, you know, I've heard other people tell me that too, that when they lose people close to them, they they'll visit them in a dream to let them know they're okay, and I, I believe that. I, Absolutely, I, think we, I do too. Yeah, yeah, and and they, I think that we don't again we don't know what that dimension is where people go, but wherever that energy goes, I there I think that it continues on, and you know I've read books about the afterlife, and all their stories are somewhat similar. That there is well, whether you want to call it heaven or whatever, they you go somewhere and you still have a purpose and you still have a mission to accomplish things and, you know, acquiring knowledge or whatever. And um, so as far as what happens when we die, I, I think, I think that's it. And, and um, uh, anyway, I'm kind of getting sidetracked here, but, but anyway, that's, that's it. So. Hmm. What do you think? Oh, the... oh. oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was yeah. going to say, back to the whole energy thing. A couple of other things that happened in real life that I put in the book was years ago, uh, not not that much longer after my grandfather died, my mother and my sister were decorating the house for Christmas, and they were seeing how much they missed my grandfather because it was the first Christmas he wasn't there. And the reading lamp, which he had used all his life, it was definitely his lamp, right? And, you know, Grandpa has what we associate with his, and it came on unexpectedly. Hmm. And uh, they were both taken aback by that. Like, wow, he was definitely saying, look, I'm, I'm still here with you. And, um, you know, those types of things I hear about happening a lot. And that spirits on the other side will communicate through electrical fixtures, which I believe. Because it would make sense. If you're energy and you want to communicate, that would be the best way to do it is through an electrical conduit, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, those types of things, as small as they may sound, are, are really huge, really. You know, but um, anyway, if I tracked you, you're going to ask something else. I still still have the question, which was, um, what do you think is the biggest threat to to humanity? Because I'm assuming that there's some kind of threat to humanity in your book. Probably climate change. Um, If you believe in it, whether we're responsible or not, we could debate. I don't know. I'm like I said, I'm not heavy on science. Um, I think we see it now. I mean. Um, can we sustain? I mean, how long is the earth going to let us be here? You know, I don't know. Do you think we should be allowed to stay here? I don't, I don't know. We haven't done very well, have we? (laughs) I mean, we learned how to split the atom. I mean, it's almost like once we did that, isn't it kind of inevitable that we're going to destroy ourselves? We can't figure anything out. So you can't figure out how to get along. Why is that, you think? Why do you think people can't get along? 
I mean, we're all really the same, right? We all want the same thing. Food, water, shelter, love. That's it. Yeah, it's a good question. Greed. Greed and allowing some people to have too much greed and to profit from it and to follow those people. And and even our, our own selves, I mean... I think I constantly put myself in check over things that make me angry. You know, a guy cuts me off for a parking spot or something stupid. And it's like we're in constant competition. You know, I live in an overpopulated city, which makes mm. things stressful. And, and, you know, we have a lot of pressure on us to do so many things in a, in a short day. And it's, you know, I don't know. So... That's a huge question you're asking. That's one of those existential questions that's, you know, I'm not the expert there. So, but what causes conflict are some of of the silliest things that we find conflict over that can escalate and people end up shooting each other over, you know. Don't know. I believe in the whole, we really haven't evolved that far from the ape, as smart as we might think we are. We Mm. we apes. I watched a chimpanzee documentary on Netflix not that long ago, and I was thinking, God, we are so similar, you know? <laughs> are we really that much different? We just have a higher capacity to destroy each other. Hmm. Interesting. Here's what I think happened. <laughs> I'd love to hear it. If you have any answers. Because uh, I, I think, I'm not yeah. sure if I figured it out, but, but, but here's my theory. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's go back to like, like when when humans first existed. They say like there was like maybe ten humans or thirty humans, right? Mm-hmm. And they all have to do different things to survive. They gotta go hunt. They gotta go do this. They gotta do that. They gotta do things they don't want to do. And then a human figures out, you know, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I don't want to have to go out and hunt. So I'm going to think of a way to trick another person to go out and do this for me. <laughs> So I'm going to create some type of fictitious reward, like money. Yeah. And I can trick this person to go out and do what I want them to do. And I don't have to do it myself. And I think it just started out like that. You know, that's a lot of truth to that. The con- who came up with the concept of money? No, somebody, yeah, somebody who didn't want to do something. Exactly. It's so true. It's so true. And, you know, I'm guilty myself. I hire a maid once a month because I don't, I hate doing the the horrible work in my house. And, yeah, that's, I never thought of it that way. That's actually pretty brilliant. (laughs) I don't know if it's brilliant (laughs) or if it's (laughs) insane sometimes. The stuff I think of, I'm like, in a way, that's like so obvious. It's so obvious that <laughs> somebody had to think of this before. Yeah, that's great. That is that is hilarious. <laughs> so, when you were writing the book, did you? I mean, did you ever feel? any type of spiritual presence, you know, guiding you. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, though, when it started that night, I, uh, I felt it. And then I, I, I started the next day. I felt like I was on a mission and, and, uh, 
that night I read the first page out loud to my girlfriend and I was afraid it didn't have enough emotion in it. And mm-hmm. I almost started crying reading the first page or two. And then I realized, wow, you know, this is, this is, um, this is definitely written from, from somewhere deep. And I was afraid it was flat and I, I, you know, it passed my flat test. And I don't think, I don't, th- I hope it's not flat, but, mm-hmm. um, so yeah. And like I said, all the way through, there were days where I would have rather been watching football on Sunday, but I, 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 I was, I was plowing through and, and doing some, some research on when I didn't maybe feel like doing it. I actually felt something pushing me that was. Did you get, doing your research, did you jump or down any unexpected rabbit holes? I did. It's been a few years. The pandemic slowed down distribution on this book. So mm-hmm. some of the, I've forgotten. Um, but, um, I think I kind of came across too much research at one point. I had to figure out what I could use and couldn't use. So, um, I guess that'd probably be the biggest obstacle I ran into. Mm-hmm. But there must folk- have been, but did, did, did anything, was anything revealed to you during that process that, that, that affected you or your perspectives? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like, like when I told the story about my grandfather mm-hmm. visiting through the camp, I think that that made sense of it. When I read the article from the, you know, this, this brilliant scientist who, who's doing research on energy not dying and why he doesn't think that humans can ever really die, that to me applied logic to something that we kind of intuitively believed in prior mm-hmm. to that. So it, it, you know, gave affirmation. Or even the dream I had, it would make sense that I saw my brother as a form of light and energy, um, you know, those types of things. So was, I was constantly getting confirmation that that what I felt in my gut or my heart was, there was something to it, you know. Um, when you see guys with IQs off the charts who are doing research on this, it's it's good to know that that there's something to it. Yeah, there definitely is. Um when you were doing the holographic, when you said it was part of it where she, she starts talking about holographic reality type of theory. Mm-hmm. When, when you did any research for that, did you find anything in there that might be true? Or give it substance? Yeah, and um, I can't remember what I watched. I actually watched a really good episode of something. It might have been the Y-Files. You ever seen the Y-Files? They touch on a lot of subjects you touch on, so you're, you'd like that. It's um, mm. um, uh, yeah, I'm I'm blanking here on what what the episode was called, but they have one on simulation theory, and it was good timing when I watched that. It might have been, I think it was that series, and it might have been something else. But um, again, I'm not I'm not a good enough scientist to speak at lengths of it, mm-hmm. but they go pretty heavy into that and um, even into rendering because people who counter that will say, well, let's say we are living in a simulated reality. We wouldn't have the, the capacity. There wouldn't be the digital capacity for, for all of what's going on on a daily basis in this whole world to store that. But then another scientist countered by saying, but it's like playing a video game. You're only rendering what you're seeing in the moment. So what you're seeing is reality. And, there's even <laughs> you only have work. what the programmers are giving you to work with. <laughs> exactly, exactly. 
Um, and that that's really trippy to think about, you know. Um, it it and is. I didn't, I didn't use this so much in my book, but just for for discovery along the way, these types of things are mind-boggling, you know. Mm-hmm. But I do. I've always believed though that God is really the master mathematician. I mean, the, you look at like there's a f- mathematic formula for gravity. You know, it almost got Sir Isaac Newton burned to the burned at the stake back in the day. But when he came up with the with the mathematical formula, but obviously, I believe in God and I believe in math. So wouldn't that mean that God is the master mathematician? That we can formulate what gravity actually is. So expand on that, you know, and and math goes into everything, including computer science. So you know, yeah, there aren't any people who can write algorithms that aren't pretty good at math, right? Mm-hmm. I can't. Do- I'm not good enough in math to write algorithms. So you figure the guys that, that are writing these are are mathematicians, and I think it all kind of fits together. But, again, these are just very simple philosophies I'm, I'm throwing out there. I don't have the science to back it. But, but again, intuitively, it, it just makes sense. It does. I, it's, it's just all boggles my mind. My. <laughs> Really, yeah. <laughs> I mean, even like like simple things like you know, human history. It's kind of strange that we don't really know where we came from. For Isn't sure. it though? Yeah. I, I think maybe that starts with the guy who is trying to trick other people into doing <laughs> what he wants. <laughs> I do, and I think that guy says, oh, "I can't let these people know where they came from and what they can really do, so I can continue to trick them." <laughs> <laughs> Makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, is this your only book, or do you have other books out? This is my first full novel. Years ago, I did a novella, mm-hmm. and it wasn't very deep. It was really just like a Christmas satire. And it was really, we were hoping to, my manager and I at the time were really just trying to turn it into a movie. And uh, it's a fun Christmas project, but, but no, to answer your question, this is a, my first real novel. Hmm. So, so what do you do regularly? Are you a screenwriter? I was writing scripts for years, and then after a couple of near deals that didn't come into fruition, I decided to focus on writing novels. And I was actually writing an outline at the time for a novel at the time that Caitlin's Wheel popped into my head while I was doing Dishes one night. And that's I have actually abandoned that book that I'd spent quite a bit of time on to, to do this one. Mm-hmm. I may circle back and do that one next. Hmm. Um, then I got back into screenwriting. Long story short, the book actually got me back into screenwriting because the publisher of my book put me in touch with a former Seinfeld writer producer who's also on, who also had a book published by him. So in a roundabout way, it put me back on that path. <laughs> anyway, I was trying to get out of the whole screenwriting thing, and this book put me back. In so, so what type of stuff do you normally write? Is it normally science fiction? Believe it or not, I've been a co- mostly comedy over the years. This is and this has comedy in it. I mean, there are funny bits in it. Um, my boy characters is a funny character, um, but yeah, this is my first. It's light sci-fi. Like this is not hardcore sci-fi. This mm-hmm. is you know the, the supernatural element is there, and she's doing her research, and we get into those things. But it's 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 a lighter, definitely lighter sci-fi. Hmm. So. But I think you'd like a lot of the topics it touches on. 
Yeah, it sounds and, like, like it would be would fit my audience. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Except we have a we have a romance that comes out of it. So. Which, I'm sure. I'm sure my audience likes romance. Yeah. Absolutely. I hope and, they uh, do. The, Aliens playing matchmaker. So, yeah, that's, that's the story. And her coming to terms with the loss of her father, which I won't give that away, but she is able to make, to um, get closure, so to speak, through alien intervention. Have you ever been to a seance? No, I would like to. You don't even like have to go away. You just do it yourself. Oh, I, I wouldn't even know how. You know, I thought a group of people... You can look it up on YouTube. I will. I will. <laughs> well, this, too, is maybe you want to go to the uh, Palm Springs area. Uh, where is it? Not Big Bear. There's an area out there where it's known for UFO sightings. You know what I'm talking about? I'm drawing a blank on the name of it. Um, uh, it'll come to me. But it's it's probably about 80 miles from L.A., and a lot of people go out there because there's historically been a lot of UFO sightings out there. Hmm. And um, Joshua Tree. You heard of Joshua Tree? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's supposed to be a hotbed of, of alien activity. And uh, anyway, where are you at, by the way? I am in New Jersey. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You ever see that? So Jersey Shore with Snooky and I know of it. I can't say I watched it religiously, but I think everyone knew about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's where I live. That's a nice area. Yeah, very nice. It's pretty nice here. We're in the home of the Jersey Devil. That's our our monster here. Oh, okay. I haven't heard of that either. I'll check that out. Yeah, yeah. All co- every every area has its own unique cryptids that other people have never heard about. It's sure. kind of interesting. Oh yeah, yeah. Like the Mothman prophecies down in West Virginia, you mm-hmm. know. Some places, the Thunderbird, Chupacabra, Skunk Ape, Dogman. Yeah, Thunderbird. I've seen documentaries on that. That's too many people have encountered that to really not give that some credence. Do you have a favorite cryptid? I don't. No. I don't. No. I think that Mothman, the Mothman is fascinating. You think there might be multidimensional beings? I, I think so. Wouldn't Moth, I think Mothman would fall under that, don't you think? I know people have described it. One person who actually saw the Mothman up close said that this is from another dimension this can't be from from earth and it wouldn't since it is if that thing's just flying around everywhere there'd be constant panic worldwide right (laughs) we can't just have mothmen flying around (laughs) so so as since you mostly write comedy do you think that life itself is sort of comical in a way is that that's the meaning of life and this whole experience that every human being has is all part of some kind of just weird cosmic joke yeah how can you not seriously i mean it's impossible not to not to think that sometimes 
you know, um, going off topic a little bit, South Park did an episode years ago where the kids were part of a reality TV show that was, we were basically the entertainment of aliens. I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with that episode or not. It's I don't actually, think I've seen that one. It's actually pretty deep for a South Park episode. And Some of them a, are. Yeah. And it was, that was the whole thing that we are the reality TV for aliens. And, and, um, they did a parody where Harvey Weinstein, this is before he was sent to, long before he was sent to prison, he was like the head alien who was in charge of production. And, and uh, you know, as silly as, as the show is, that was actually makes you think, like, are, are, we, are we really just entertainment for somebody, the higher intelligence, you know, and they're just laughing at us? So I don't know. And, and comedy, too, is a way of obviously dealing with the everyday tragedies of life, you know, big or small. So I, I'm kind of going all over the place here. I remember years ago, something stuck with me as a woman who had an afterlife experience said that she may, met Christ. And one of the things that surprised her was that Jesus had a tremendous sense of humor. <laughs> and I remember at the time I was thinking, yeah, that's, that is, we don't think of Christ like that. We always right. think of, especially being raised Catholic, you know, everything's so serious. <laughs> But it would make total sense. You know, a guy, if he's truly full of love and loves everybody, he probably has a very good sense of humor and able to see, I, I maybe not comedy, but not everything has to be so heavy handed or, or right. heavy hearted, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, people who've, I remember I was listening to a NPR episode where a woman had done the, the mushroom therapy. What do they call that? There's a name for that. The, psycho- the psychedelic therapy yeah microdosing on microdosing, those yeah and very effective for a lot of people and one of the things she said was that her family noticed that she wasn't taking life so hard you know she's she was developing a better sense of humor everything wasn't so heavy and hard all the time and they could joke you know better sense of humor all these types of things and uh, i think that's really what the microdosing on shrooms do is it, it lightens people's spirit and which is really very much Christ-like when you think about it. You know, the hardcore Christians wouldn't like me saying that shrooming is a form of Christianity, but doesn't it kind of get you into that focus, into that mindset, that subconscious that we're talking about, you know? And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of that myself. I take everything way too hard. I'm always hard on myself and setting deadlines and, you know, it's just so much pressure. Uh, you can take life way too hard. So, anyway, I, I yeah. it, it, one of the things that the psychedelics do, I think, is um, it it breaks us away from the ego. We can take a step back from our ego, look at it, and go, "It's kind of ridiculous." <laughs> You know, that that I'm walking around taking myself so seriously, trying to do all this stuff. And at the end of the, at the end, I'm just going to die anyway. The whole thing's laughable. Yeah. Yeah. It's back to that whole money thing you brought up. If we didn't need money, wouldn't we be so much happier? Not having to work and. And we don't need it. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I don't want to be homeless though either. No, so. but we really don't need it because it was just all constructed by some guy who didn't want to do something. <laughs> right? If we're all become willing to do what is necessary to do for ourselves, then there's no more use for money. That is very true. You see, I'm guilty of buying into the whole system where I have to have a certain house. You yeah. know, I need my thousand square feet and you know a car to drive and pension and blah 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 but you're right if we could all just grow our own food and do our own thing and work hand in hand and be good neighbors we wouldn't need money you're absolutely right it, but it i can't was, see myself in a commune though either gary it's just, that's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> i'm too spoiled i'm way too spoiled with my big screen tv and well, maybe because may, maybe that's too big of a thing to ask of people. I think the probably the, maybe the smallest thing you could ask of people would be to think about it. Think about it. Think about your life. Think about what it is you're living for. You know, and and, and ask like, is this real? Like, like is is this? it you know like what are the other because i think too one of the other things that we've been programmed into doing is like we think in a very dualistic way we think like things are either this way or things are that way either i'm rich or i'm poor either i'm good or i'm bad either um i'm you know it's, it's just constant duality either i yes. do either i get this or i get that yes you know, i work here i work yes. there. but we always narrow things down to just two choices when, 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 in, when in reality, there's an infinite number of choices. And I think that's been programmed into us from grade school, from, from the time they teach us that one plus one is two, and two minus one is one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it's multiply, subtract, add, divide. We're taught to think from a very early age in that way. But yes. It, but are we capable of thinking outside of that? I think we are. Yeah, that's a very good point. It's interesting you said that because I was, I was thinking about that just in the last couple of days. I do that all the time. I, I, it's like a, it's this thing or that thing. And if I can't get this, then I'll get that. I even give myself little consolation prizes. Well, if I don't get this to happen, then that means this will happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's always the rule of two. It's really interesting you brought this up. Because that's the only way for us to go in a linear direction. Yeah, you know, you're right. I didn't even put that into it. But you're right. You're right. But we don't have to live in a linear direction. You know, it's like, like, like... On a graph, like if you have like an X, Y axis, we're just living on the X axis and forgetting about the Y axis. Or probably even another axis going... Another direction, mm-hmm. the X, Y, and Z axis, but we just live on one. Yes, and we're thought we're, we're thought to think of time as linear. Obviously, where it may yeah. not be so linear. No, it's definitely not. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely don't. I believe that everything sort of exists beyond time and space as a set of probabilities too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's how, it's how I visualize it anyway. 
Now, Gary, if you don't mind me flipping the interview, I read about you before I came <laughs> to the show. And you had a near a near death experience, is that correct? I did, yeah. Yeah. It was one of the coolest things that ever happened to me. And uh it didn't and people say get mad people get mad at me for saying that sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, like how could that be cool? I'm like because I was like in the center of the universe and like I had a bad epileptic seizure and Oh okay. and, and and all of a sudden though I was like it is black space and it was like colors moving around me. There was sound mm-hmm. but the best part about it was I I was aware, I was conscious, but there was no fear. There was Ooh. no questioning anything. It was just pure existence mm-hmm. it was like i was one with it and i wasn't i was conscious mm-hmm. of it and i was it. Mm-hmm. it it it's impossible really for any human being to describe what it's like in words because our words don't have anything that captures it sure but after it i was never i was never have not been the same since I'm, I'm sorry, not, I didn't hear the, the last part. I said, said I definitely have not been the same since. Been the same, yeah, 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 yeah I believe that. Because I think I, where I was was like, like, or at least maybe not the ultimate reality or true reality. I think that's kind of crazy to think in a way. But mm-hmm. I definitely jumped from this form of energy in the way we exist into another one. Okay. Um, do you know how long you were gone? Uh, 45 minutes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, a long time. Um, but you didn't go down the tunnel of light that people It wasn't like that, no. no. What, what mine was considered is a called there's different. There's three different types of near-death experience, the way they characterize them. There's a white light, black light, and clear. Oh, okay. And the white light's the most common one. Mm-hmm. Black light's the sec- second most common one. This is what I had. And then there's the clear okay. one. And what's the clear one? Can you... Do you... I can't even remember what it was. But I know oh, it's like okay. super rare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because my aunt had the tunnel of light uh, many years ago, before I was even born, I think. Um, she was giving birth and had complications with the birth. The baby died and she was pronounced dead on the in her hospital bed and she said that she there was literally a tunnel of light that came into the room, and then she she was going there, and then she actually knew she had a choice of coming mm-hmm. back, to, going to the other side, and she said she was at total peace, just yeah. complete peace. And it was very tempting to just go to the other side, but she felt she still had work to do on Earth, and she came back. But like you, she said she never looked at life the same afterwards. Because mm-hmm. uh, that peace know, feeling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she still had a lot of... Um, issues to resolve it wasn't like she came back a saint or anything oh no it makes you makes it even worse yeah <laughs> in, in, in a weird way it makes everything even more painful <laughs> yeah you know she never said that it, it's, I, everything's exaggerated okay she never said that but that actually would make sense that what you're telling me um and she went on a spiritual quest she actually became a pastor um in a I don't want to say new age, but a non-Christian denomination mm-hmm. church. I'm not sure which one it was, but, but yeah, but she, uh, she was definitely trying to sort through a lot of pain in her life after that and applying what had happened 
do that. So, yeah. it's interesting. Have you ever had any type of experience like that? Out-of-body experience, astral experience, um, experience with drugs? Yeah, mine were artificial. Mine were because of drugs. And yeah. Yeah, in college I, I did psychedelic on two different occasions. For me, they, they were both great uh-huh. experiences. And, um, you know, I'm a little afraid of, of chemicals just because what they could do to your brain. But oh, some are safe. Like, mushrooms are safe. Yeah, sh- I think shrooms are. It's Cannabis is safe. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, I did hard psych- psychedelics on two di- different occasions. They were both beautiful experiences. What did you me. do? Angel dust? Yeah, LSD. Oh, yeah. that's not bad. Yeah. Yeah, I did one hit. I, it was like we were taking 10, and you always hear all these bad stories about LSD because people are taking like eight hits and then jumping off of buildings. That's not know? true, though. Never. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> You've done eight hits? <laughs> Nobody's jumped off a building on LSD. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't know. Find the documentation of it. Nobody's ever found okay. it. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, or what about the guy in Pink Floyd? Isn't it true that he ended up? Sid Barrett? No, it's not true, actually. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure he he was suffering from mental illness prior to that, and he just left and went, lived with his parents and decided to paint instead. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's an urban myth, that he's basically living in his mom's basement thinking he's a... (laughs) A, a mushroom or so. I don't know what that, that, that's that, that's the story that uh, Roger Waters and Dave Gilmore wanted to believe. It's probably the only thing they could agree on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So um but no. I haven't had any naturally out of body experiences. So would you want to try it? Yeah, it frightens me to be honest, but I I'm also very curious. Like drugs don't scare me. I know some people freak out on any kind of trip. That never has. I like actually. I even enjoy hallucinations. Mm-hmm. Those don't. I hallucinated a little bit on LSD, but they were beautiful. I I didn't mind. Um. But naturally, no. So. Um, but anyway. <laughs> you must have a lot of that in LA. I'm sure there is. Believe it or not, I haven't tried any since. I, I'm. I would be open to doing it again, but I'd probably rather do shrooms at this point, just because they're natural. Mm-hmm. But believe it or not, I don't, I don't, don't have access. <laughs> yes, you do. They're, they're legal if you're in, in LA. And you give me some shrooms. I think they're already that legal in Ohio or somewhere. They're legal somewhere. There are clinics here now where it's legal to do it, and there's. I don't want to say doctor, but someone who can actually prescribe them in a, in a clinic, but it's mm-hmm. a for- just an absolute fortune to go do these, these uh, psychedelic clinics here. And they fall under therapy here, which is why I think they're allowed legally to do it. But the prices, I mean, you go to Tahiti for three weeks on what the cost of these clinics are just for like three experiences. So oh, that's crazy. Yeah, I'd rather just Amsterdam and get shrooms and do them there. So. Yeah. Anyway, you can buy the stuff to grow them on Amazon. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's easy. So, um, 
I want to th- thank you for taking the time to be on today. And hey, um, thanks for having me. And yeah. um, plug your book. Tell me my people where to find you. Find your book. It's called Caitlin's Wheel. K a i t l y n s. Title character. Caitlin's Wheel. It's available anywhere. Just hit Google and it'll pop up. You can Barnes and Noble, Amazon, every bookseller around. Mm-hmm. And the ebook supposed to, it was supposed to be out a while ago, but there was something with the distributor where they forgot to add it. But that should be coming out, I think, in the next week or so. And the ebook would be even easier to get. So by the time this is out, it'll be out. I'm sorry. By the time this episode is out, it'll be out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What am I thinking? Yeah, I was delusional to think we're live right now. Yeah, absolutely. There's no such thing as time on this show. That's right. That's right. We're not into the linear thing here. So, oh. Yeah. Well, Gary, it was fun. I I enjoyed it. I sorry I babbled so much. I'm horrible at interviews. Ah, you did great. Thanks for coming on. And um, do you have a website? I don't. If you on Facebook? Amazon profile. Um, Social media, nothing. No, it's just the author's profile on Amazon. Wow, I need to. I need to get a. a <laughs> this a, is like promoting a ghost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need to hire a publicist or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll put a link to your book in the notes of this episode. Oh, I appreciate it. Amazon. Would be the easiest. Yeah, I'll, I'll put. A, I'll put an Amazon link. In, in your author page. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks, Gary. <laughs> no problem. Uh, okay. Thanks for being on, and just hang on for a moment. I'm going to play the outro. Okay, will do. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com. Message him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Also buy the book Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon and it will change your life. Because remember, everything that it says was first imagined. If you loved what you listened to today, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Listen to Everything Imaginable with Gary Cochulio.